Keep your Bible open to that passage. I want to direct your attention to that today because this is a very special day for me. Friday was really the special day. We sang over a thousand tongues to sing in Garfield, New Jersey, on Friday the 13th of March, that explains why I never amounted to anything, Friday the 13th of March, when I was ordained to the Christian ministry and won the privilege of wearing the preacher's robe. I don't always do that, but I thought it might be appropriate today. So let us give our attention to God's word And as we do so, let us unite our hearts in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, grant that we, according to the riches of your glory, may be strengthened dynamically through your Spirit in the inner person. Let Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. May we be rooted and grounded in love. Enable us to understand with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Fill us with all the fullness of God. And now to you who are able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't preach at me, some people say. Or, preaching is boring. Well, it's not supposed to be, but sometimes what passes for preaching is really boring. That's because it's not real preaching. Not preaching in the biblical sense. Fifty years ago, as I say, on Friday, I was ordained to the Christian ministry. Have you ever wondered what is supposed to be so special about preaching? I was advised not to go into the ministry. Keep on teaching chemistry and mathematics. Maybe they knew something about my abilities, uh, but I don't think so. Preaching has fallen on hard times, and so today in some churches we have dancing and drama, fog machines, and even at a Christmas Eve service that we went to recently, not last week, Christmas, but Christmas before, we had a lady on the flying trapeze. What in the world it had to do with Christmas, I don't have the faintest idea. But we have all kinds of things to jazz things up and try to get people interested. So, you know, sometimes one is tempted to think, maybe I was mistaken when I was, as Paul says, compelled of necessity. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. But that certainly was the way I felt. I'm compelled to do this. As Paul says to Timothy, God put me into the ministry. You don't go into the ministry. God puts you into the ministry. 
if it's really something of God. And we must ask ourselves, are Tim Cook and Denard Winborn, our candidates under care of the Presbytery, are they really doing the right thing? If you've ever heard Denard, yes, it's pretty obvious he's doing the right thing. I hope I'm doing the right thing too today. Have you ever heard Christ speaking to you? Christ speaking to you, not not in some kind of uh, charismatic way where you get special revelation from heaven. We don't believe that. But uh, suppose you hear the word of God proclaimed and you know that was meant for me. That was meant for me. I've had people tell me that. Well, I had no idea what they were going through. I don't know what you're going through, but I have the Word of God. The Word of God, which is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Word of God is able to reach you. The Word of God is able to change you, and it will change you, because God says through Isaiah, My Word shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish what I purpose. Not what I purpose all the time, not what you purpose, but what God purposes. The word of God changes people, and you cannot be exposed to the pure word of God without being changed by it, either for the better or for the worse. It's my prayer that it would be for your good, that God would change you for the better as you hear his word today. And I submit that we need preaching for three reasons. First of all, we need the content of preaching. What does it say? What are we to understand? Secondly, we need the Christ of preaching. And then we need the call of preaching. So let's consider, first of all, what Paul says in Romans 10, 14 through 17. He's talking there about the preaching of the gospel, and it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's not about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not real preaching. Faith, he says, comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, that does not rule out the Father and the Son, of course. But Christ is the mediator between God and man. To get to God, we must go through Jesus Christ. We must begin with Christ. That's the essence of preaching. We can't begin with Christ, of course, unless the Holy Spirit works, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, and persuading and enabling us to embrace Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. That comes from the Shorter Catechism. We all all know about that. That is what preaching is all about. Christ is to be preached, and he is to be preached from all of the scriptures, from Genesis through Revelation. So verse 11 is a quotation from Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, that's very important, a stone, a rock, that's Jesus, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, 
Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes will not be disappointed. And that's a very wonderful thing. Whoever hears about Jesus will not be disappointed if that person really hears with the inner soul, with the inner mind, that person is going to go away not bored, but is going to go away elated. And then later, in verse 18, Paul quotes Psalm 19, verse 4, and in verse 19, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, 21. Now, he's quoting there, about preaching in this era, and he's saying that the preaching of Christ is something that started in the Old Testament. And the books of the Old Testament, the sections of the Old Testament, all set forth Christ in one way or another. Christ is in all the scriptures. Though the Old Testament was divided by the Jewish people into three parts, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Paul refers to each of them in that section where he talks about preaching and the necessity of preaching. Well, of course, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the rest of the New Testament at the time. All they had was the scriptures, that is, what we call the Old Testament. But he's saying, they're full of Christ. Look for him. You'll find him there. Not every verse necessarily, but in every section of the Bible, you'll find Christ proclaimed in the sacrifices, in all kinds of things, in direct prophecy, all kinds of ways. God is speaking to us, speaking to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament of Christ, and as those people believed, they were saved just as we are today. They were saved by the Christ of prophecy. We are saved by the Christ of history, but it's the same Lord Jesus Christ. So we are one with blessed, saved Israel. Together, we praise his name. The fact of the matter is that the Old Testament cannot be understood correctly apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jewish people today, unfortunately, do not understand their own scriptures. Sometimes they do, and all of a sudden, they become what they call themselves completed Jews. They realize Jesus is the center of it all. Well, there was a Jewish man, Dr. Richard Gans. He was a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something. He was an atheist. There are a lot of Jewish atheists, you know, and he was one of them. And somehow he was, fell in with a group that was reading the book of Isaiah, he didn't know that at the time. But they read Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, about the one who died in our place. And his response was, well, of course, this passage is talking about Jesus Christ. It's from the New Testament. And the leader simply took the Bible, open to Isaiah 53, and handed it to this man. And he was converted on the spot. They say he fell out of his chair. He was so shocked and became an ardent Christian. Now, one of the reasons that preaching has fallen on hard times is that it has degenerated into moralism. You can't do this. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't smoke. Don't do all kinds of things. 
And people think that is what preaching is all about, and that's what becoming a Christian is all about. It's not. Becoming a Christian is not about turning over a new leaf and being more respectable. Becoming a Christian means you come to believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You call upon him for salvation. And if that is what preaching, what happens when preaching happens, that's not boring. And it's something that is really wonderful. Because preaching is about the glory of Christ's person. It's not brought out primarily in this passage, but think about the whole book of Romans. In fact, at the beginning of the book, Paul actually begins Romans 1 by talking about Christ. Concerning his son, he says, he was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. At the very beginning, he can't wait to start talking about Christ. His writings are all full of Christ. That's what preaching ought to be. Not just moralism, telling people what they ought not do or what they ought to do. You're not giving enough money to the church. That's a favorite. Even the liberals preach that because they need money given to their churches. But true preaching sets forth Christ in the glory of his person. It's concerning Christ. And he can't wait to get started praising Christ. And if you read the epistles of Paul, you find that every once in a while he'll interrupt himself. Praise God for this. Because he's so exuberant in his praise for God. And then we think about the fullness of Jesus' work. We think about the dying of Jesus. Paul brings that out in chapter 3. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus has come to deliver us from the worst conceivable catastrophe. It's not the coronavirus. It's not some kind of economic failure, depression, or something of that nature. The worst conceivable thing is to be and remain under the wrath of God, to face the judgment of God. And we're all going to face it, whether you believe it right now or not. You will believe it when it happens. Hope it's not too late. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So we learn about the fullness of his work. Now, this preaching is not just an aspect of public speaking. If it's not centered on the Lord Jesus, then it's not preaching. What is preaching? Well, preaching is different from any other form of communication. That's why I like to wear a robe, because it shows that I am here as a spokesman for God. Now, a lot of brethren, including our brother here, uh, doesn't wear a robe, but that's okay. Uh, The first time I heard him preach, I knew this is God speaking to me. He brought me under conviction of sin, and that was maybe four or five years ago, the first time we ever visited. Uh, 
When we knew we were going to move here, we knew exactly what church we were going to go to because there God speaks, and that is a very wonderful thing. It's different from any other form of communication. It's not a classroom lecture, for example. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. It was an eloquence that converts people. Oh, some people, you know, profess conversion when, when they hear something eloquent. But that kind of a conversion doesn't last. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher from London, England, who had been a medical doctor and then decided he wasn't doing people as much good that way as he could do as a preacher because he was simply telling people, you smoke too much, you drink too much, and uh, that kind of thing. And it really wasn't very helpful to them. They needed Christ. So he gave up medicine. He was a royal physician gave it all up to preach Christ, became one of the greatest preachers of our generation. That was what God did. God did it through him. Preaching, you see, is not a sales pitch. It's not the cry of an auctioneer, though the Greek word sometimes uh, is used uh, in a secular sense as an auctioneer. It's not a political speech, and we certainly are hearing a lot of those nowadays, aren't we? How helpful are they? Are they blessing to you? Even if the person who's speaking is in the right party, uh, you have to admit that, uh, well, what he has to offer is not what God has to offer in the gospel, is it? We have a head of state who never disappoints us. Every other one has disappointed me. Everyone that I have voted for who is a member of the right party, you know, he, he always disappoints us. The Lord Jesus Christ never disappoints. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and glory to his name. He's sitting upon the throne, and that is what we are doing when we preach. We talk about Jesus. Preaching is the official explanation, interpretation, and application of the word of God written, proclaimed in the presence of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, pointing people to God, the Father, Son, and the finished work of Christ. Preaching is done by people who have been sent, not sent by the presbytery, although that's good, but sent by God. The Presbytery has not yet voted on Tim or Denard. They will eventually. They'll take their trials, and they will, God willing, be ordained and sent by the Presbytery, but they are sent, first of all, by Christ. They're emissaries, ambassadors for Christ. How are they to preach, Paul says, unless they're sent? Anyone can get up and give a talk. But not everybody can preach. A candidate must feel the Holy Spirit calling. Denard asked me about a year ago, you know, how can you tell whether you've been called? Well, the Holy Spirit makes you feel called, I said. And the Holy Spirit, 
who makes you feel called in the inner person is able to communicate to your congregation that you've been called, and so they recommend you. And that same spirit is able to work through the presbytery to bring you to the point of ordination. You're called, called by God, but then called by man as well. And the Holy Spirit is able to give not only you discernment, but to give the people around you discernment to your call. One other thing about Christ and preaching that you may not have realized, I remember speaking with a member of my congregation in California after been there a long time, and she had been somewhere and uh, uh, in a church service or conference or something, and they said, they told the people that when preaching takes place, Christ is there. You are hearing Christ. There is a word used in the New Testament for that, sometimes translated heralding. And the herald ran before the royal chariot to draw attention to the, of the people that the king was coming. The king is here. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is announcing Christ is here. Bow before him in faith and worship. It declares an event. That's what John the Baptist did when he introduced Jesus. The kingdom has come. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is here. Listen to him. And that is the promise of the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To him. Not to the President of the United States or the Queen of England or anyone else. It's been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what? Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. When Christ is preached, Christ is present. Oh, I know physically he's present in heaven as at the right hand of the Father. But he has sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. The Pope is not. The Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. And where the Holy Spirit is, there Christ is. He is the spirit of Christ. He represents Christ. And so Christ speaks in preaching. So verse 14 asks the question, how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, Christ is the content of preaching, but this really says more. It's not really a good translation. The New American Standard Version is much more accurate because it translates, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Have you heard Christ speaking to you? That's what preaching is all about. Preaching is Christ using his minister to speak to you and invite you to come and receive all the blessings of his salvation. When Christ is preached, Christ is preaching. It's like this. 
Most of you probably are not old enough to remember this, but I am, and some of you are. Every Sunday night, I would turn on the radio and listen to Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd and Effie Klinker. Charlie McCarthy was the dummy that Edgar Bergen would put on his knee and then they'd have a dialogue. Bergen would say something and then Charlie McCarthy would say something. It was hilarious. I don't know if there are any uh, famous ventriloquists operating today. No one like Edgar Bergen. But we knew, you know, that's not really Charlie speaking. That's not even Charlie speaking when he mocks Edgar Bergen and says, Oh, Bergie, we can see your lips moving. It was Edgar Bergen speaking. Well, every preacher wants to be like a ventriloquist dummy so that Christ can speak through him. That's what we need. Do you think that that is boring? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Christ himself, it's not merely about him, it's Christ himself speaking. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 16? The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The only way there can be preaching is if the preacher is sent and accompanied by Christ. It's not true preaching if the preacher was not sent by Christ. That presupposes not only a grip of certain essential facts about Christ, but the preacher must himself be someone who has been gripped by the power of Christ and is kept by the power of Christ. That's not restricted, you know, to official pulpit work. Uh, Denard has preached over in Tampa at the uh, service over there, and you could tell that he was in the grip of Christ. I hope he always will be, that he doesn't lose that when he goes to the seminary. hope that Tim will be blessed in his studies uh, and that they will become ardent preachers of Christ to the church and to those outside the church because they are accompanied by Christ. The Orthodox Presbyterian Directory for Worship says, and I think that the, uh, the PCA one says the same thing, in the sermon, God addresses the congregation by the mouth of his servant. So preaching is totally unlike any other means of communication. It's desperately needed by people. They need to hear Christ speaking to their hearts. And what are the goals of preaching? Well, the first one, of course, is to glorify God. Whatever we do in word or deed, we're supposed to glorify him. I am supposed to glorify Christ in my preaching, not to glorify myself. It's nice when people say that was helpful, that was nice, it was a good sermon and all that. But my goal is to exalt Christ, to glorify him. It's all for the glory of God. That must be the ultimate goal of preaching. But there's another goal. 
It's to bring people to call on the name of the Lord. Note the questions that were posed here in this section of Romans. Paul asks, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, before that, how are they to hear without someone preaching? You need to be sent. You need the preaching. And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? If they haven't heard Christ, how are they to believe? And how are they to call in him on whom they have not believed? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, Paul talks about shame at the beginning of the letter to the Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, it's a literary form, just the same as we have here. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's really, I'm proud of the gospel. Everything else fails. People try all kinds of things. But what do we find in the gospel? The power of God under salvation to everyone who believes. What do we find here? It is the power of the gospel, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, will never be put to shame. Oh, yes, the world in the present era may try to shame you for being one of these Jesus people. Uh, I was greatly influenced by the so-called Jesus people in the early 70s. Uh, I could tell that God was using many of them in a wonderful way. But people laughed at them, smirked at them, and they do us too. But on the day of judgment, we're not going to be put to shame, are we? We're not going to be disappointed, and we're not disappointed now, even though people try to make us feel stupid because we believe in this thing about Jesus. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. They won't go away disappointed. That's a wonderful thing. My goal must be to preach so that you won't go away, go away disappointed or bored, but that you'll go away elated. Maybe you don't feel that way right now, but I certainly hope that you will go away touched by the power and the grace, and the mercy, and the love of God in Christ. It should never be dull. It should be aimed to bring people to a realization and experience of the fullness of salvation in Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the wonder of the loving kindness of God the Father. Oh yes, there can be boredom. Boredom says more about the hearer than it does about the subject or the speaker in any situation. If beauty is in the eye of the beholder, boredom is the, in the ear of the hearer. What can you as a hearer do to avoid boredom and go away not only not disappointed, but actually thrilled and thankful? Please, please, please call on the name of the Lord. Little boy or girl, please, please call on the name of the Lord. When you feel guilty, call on the name of the Lord and he will take away your guilt. A lot of old people feel guilty too. Call on the name of the Lord. You won't be disappointed. Teen, whatever is troubling you, call on the name of the Lord. Is it sin? 
Is it temptation? Is it discouragement? Is it fear of the future? Please, please, please call on the name of the Lord. When God began operating in my life, well, when I began realizing that he was operating in my life, one of the things that happened to me was in university now, it was college then, I was minoring in mathematics, majoring in chemistry and physics. I was flunking calculus. That was my minor, mathematics. I was flunking. I spent four hours every night doing calculus homework alone. And when the class time came, Dr. Anderson had us put these demonstrations of these intricate calculations up on the blackboard and explain them. Well, I'd spent four hours doing it. Didn't have four hours for the test. That was the problem. But I spent four hours doing it, and I put these explanations up on the board. Then I'd get up and explain them. And Dr. Anderson said, you know, you explain these things like a teacher with five years' experience, but you can't pass the test. And so we finally came to a study in calculus that I simply don't understand. I don't understand it today. I don't want to understand it. It's about the theory of statistics. And it came time for the test, and I went in and sat down. And I said, God, help me. Help me remember what I learned. Keep me from making stupid mistakes. Give me clearer thinking. The papers came back, and on the top was written, a perfect paper. This is long overdue. (laughs) It was. And after that, I felt I had an unfair advantage over the other people because I learned to pray. I still had to do the studying, still four hours every night, but God heard my prayers. He'll hear yours to call on the name of the Lord. Maybe you're looking for that perfect person to marry. I was praying about it. Lord, lead me to her whom you've ordained to be my wife. I remember one time thinking, oh, why should he choose my wife? I'm the one that has to live with her. (laughs) And then I remembered, he knows me better than I know me, and he knows that girl out there somewhere better than I know her. It's up to him to choose. So after a long time, I finally decided, I guess I must be meant to be single. So I prayed, Lord, if you want me to be single, give me grace to accept it. Three weeks later, I walked into Joellen's living room. Call on the name of the Lord, no matter what. Please call on the name of the Lord right now. You have some need. Call upon Jesus. Jesus, help me. You feel guilty. Jesus, forgive my sins. Call upon his name. And no matter what, you'll go away saying, I needed that preaching. And you'll be able to rejoice in the words that we sang from John Wesley. 
he speaks. And listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. That's not boring, is it? Let's pray. Lord God of hosts, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into the world to live a life of perfect righteousness, to give us a garment of salvation, and to die under your wrath that we may not ever have to face your wrath, but to know that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that if there's anyone here who has never responded to the call of the gospel, give that person right now grace to call upon the name of the Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.